Well, good evening. Nice to be with you again. Hope your day is, was and is and will be blessed. Andy, I got to give you a compliment on that charging the battery um, comparison metaphor last evening. I think that fits pretty well. So hopefully we'll get recharged even more tonight. Why don't, we get, why don't we begin with prayer? Let's pray. Thank you, God, for tonight, and thank you for the book of Acts and for your word and for the blessing it is and how it purifies us. Help us to see your heart and your finger tonight and to follow that. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, is Dan here? Dan Stolzfus, DZ Stolzfus. No, he's not here tonight to talk about his question. Well, okay, I was going to address that first. He, he asked last night, is the book of Acts historical only, or is it authoritative? And my initial gut reaction, which I still think, is that it's very authoritative. Now, I guess we should qualify that because there's a lot of stories and events in the book of Acts that don't necessarily have a command to them. And so maybe those aren't authoritative. There are certainly teaching points, certainly principles that we can apply. But um, I guess without going a lot further in that, as far as I'm concerned, the book of Acts is the Word of God, and, and we take it the way God gives it to us, and kind of like what Aidan was talking last night, that it's very authoritative. Okay, moving on. Uh, does anyone have a comment on that? I, I should pause and ask, uh, what, what do you think about Dan's question? Is the book of Acts history only, or is it authoritative? I'd welcome some response. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. There's the answer right there, right? Anybody else? John asks, if the history is not authentic, then what? That reminds me of talking about the book of Genesis. If we can't trust that history, then what? Mm-hmm. History is authoritative, okay? All right, good. Thank you. So this is just a recap on what I showed you last night. This is our, my intent for the evening. I would like to briefly discuss um, a, what I would call an alternative outline or theme and then spend some time on my main outline and then end with discussion on application for today. So this is my main outline. Last night I just called it Introduction. Tonight we'd like to look at a number of, of events and accounts, narratives, whatever you want to call it, in the book of Acts at the beginning of the book. And then the, the little bit of a subtitle for tonight is Commission to Go. And then further, there is the uh, subpoints for tonight under Commission to Go. We'll look at Christ's Ascension, which is in uh, chapter 1 and then the day of Pentecost, and then Peter and John. Before we get to that far, <clears throat> this is what I would call the uh, alternative outline. So what I mean by that, ju just to clarify this, is that is my, th this is my main outline that I intend to follow, but there's a lot of outlines. There's a lot of ways that you can look at the book of Acts, and they're all fine as far as I'm concerned. It's just that I personally in my study chose to follow this one each evening, but there's other outlines and other ways of dissecting, slicing and dicing the book, other ways of studying it. And that's what I mean by alternative outline. And I'd like to touch on one each evening, mostly just for the interesting. Uh, to, to some of you, that may actually be the most interesting part of the evening, kind of depending on how you look at study and how you look at history and that kind of thing. 
So for tonight, the alternative outline, I'm calling it Ligonier, uh, based on the, on the source where I found it. Uh, this writer simply said, hey, when you look at the book of Acts in general, there are several major themes that burst out. And he didn't really look at specific people necessarily, although he, he, Paul is mentioned there. Uh, but not necessarily specific people, not really specific events necessarily, not really specific responses from crowds or anything like that. He just said, when you take the book of Acts in a nutshell, uh, there's three themes that leap out. And, and again, this was in, in his view as he studied it, and, and I like this. One theme in the, the book in general is apologetical, which refers to defending Christianity. And his basis for, for saying that's a theme of the book of Acts is, is simply that there are many courtroom settings in the book of Acts. And that also would actually refer back to the book of Luke as well, touching on our discussion last night about how the two books are so, so closely related. <clears throat> there were a number of times where Paul or Silas or Peter or John or whoever it happened to be at, at the time were hauled into court and forced, or at least tried to be forced to explain what they were doing, and invariably they were acquitted, or at, at least more or less. There was not always a, a formal judgment handed down, but uh, in the way that the, that the courtroom scene is presented, the, the assumption is usually pretty clearly that they were innocent, whether or not the ruler actually recognized that. Um, from Luke's point of view, they were usually innocent. And so this, this writer made the point that there were numerous times in the book of Acts where Christians seemed to be picked on because they irritated people, which I don't know if it was them irritating people or if it was the, the prompting of the Spirit of God making the other people mad, such as the Sanhedrin and the um, Herod and, and so on. And so, so the, the Christians were hauled into court in an attempt to shut them up, basically. And consistently, they were found innocent. So that was, that's one way of looking at the book. And then the second point he made was the validity of Paul's apostleship. Um, so when you look at the list of 12 apostles, Paul is not usually listed. And this, to me, is a, kind of a fascinating search, and I have more on it later this evening. But um, Paul is pretty clearly, I would think, uh, at least in, in my reading of the book of Acts, considered uh, very clearly considered to be an apostle, although he's not necessarily listed in what we would commonly call the 12 apostles. And there's a lot of theory about that, and I'm sure some of you could, could tell us quite a few details as well. So was he the 13th apostle, or was he supposed to be the 12th, or what really was going on there? But um, still, just as a kind of a summary on this point, the book of Acts pretty clearly, uh, at least in, in, in my reading, uh, makes it uh, a pretty strong statement that Paul was indeed an apostle. And then the third part here of this particular outline, the inclusion of Gentiles into the new kingdom, which all of us should be very thankful for. That, that should kind of light us up and make us on fire because, hey, uh, back before the new kingdom, before the New Testament, it was not that way. Well, to a limited extent, but Gentiles were kind of kept at a distance and, and certainly were not on the same, I, I guess you could say not on the same level as Jews, but that all changed. And I think two evenings from now, we'll talk about that some more in depth and look at the, the change in, in, in perspective, the change in worldview from being an, a person steeped in the Old Testament sacrificial system, Jews being the chosen people, to suddenly this, this sea change, uh, sea as in the ocean, S-E-A, the sea change of, of perspective and, and, and thought that suddenly Gentiles are on equal footing with, 
the Jews, and, and, and it created tensions in the church at some point. So anyway, that's a, certainly a theme of the book of Acts, that Gentiles are indeed included and, 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 and maybe arguing on behalf of that argument. You see that all over in, in Acts. Any comments on this? Questions? Or a progression, maybe. Because mm-hmm. it was a Jew through mm-hmm. Yeah, you're correct. Yeah, that's, that's very correct. Even from the beginning. Yeah, so I don't know if you could hear Aaron, but he was saying, is it correct to call it a change? Maybe it's more of an expansion or a progression. Uh, maybe a, 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 what's the word, a... Um, a benchmark in God's plan. We got to this point, and, and now Gentiles, something to that effect. Mm-hmm. Good point. Sometimes with a change, there's people that are left behind. Mm-hmm. So with expansion, mm-hmm. makes room for more. He, that's a good point. He said with a change, sometimes people are left behind, but with an expansion, it just makes room for more and doesn't lose anyone. Mm-hmm. Good, I appreciate that. Anyone else? Yeah, we heard you loud and clear. <laughs> All right, then moving on to, to my main outline, which is tonight is, is titled Commission to Go. Again, those are the three points that we'll touch on here in the next, I don't know, 15 minutes or, or something to that effect. So let's look at Christ's ascension. So if you have your Bibles open, this would be Acts chapter 1. And there, there's no way, people, in, in this short time that, you know, we can even look at each verse. I'm not even going to try. I'm, I'm going to pick out some key points and keep on moving um, so we're not going to look at every verse and maybe sometimes not even every chapter necessarily. But I would like to zero in on Acts 1.8. Is there a volunteer to read Acts 1.8? Acts 1.8. Yeah, Go ahead. Thank you. So what's the promise there? Can someone respond on that? What's the promise in Acts 1 8? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, can you folks that are back for the can you hear when people in the front row talk? I don't know if you can or not. Can you? Kind of anyway. Okay. Receive power, power of the Holy Spirit. Good. Anything else on that? Yeah, and I like the word shall. Today, that's a legal term, meaning that there, there, there's no room for, it's not a maybe, or you might, or hopefully you will. It's a shall. You shall receive power. What's the uh, command? There's the word shall again, isn't it? You shall be witnesses. I didn't look that up in other translations. I don't know if, if other translations say you will be witnesses or, or how that is, but interesting that both of them use the word shall. So you'll receive power and you shall be witnesses. So a promise and a command. Uh, I think, you know, I, I didn't think about this until now, but I, I kind of wish I would have researched this a little bit, this, this pairing of a promise and a command. And I, I think, I'm just kind of thinking off the top of my head, but isn't that kind of typical? If God gives a, a command, he gives a promise to go along with it, a promise of grace or a promise of strength or something to that effect. Uh, I can't prove that. I just thought of that now. 
Moving on, can you name the 12 apostles? Just in honesty, I couldn't. I think I could now, but I couldn't earlier. <laughs> Sing it, okay. <laughs> All right, here's your test. There are 17 names there. Which five would you cross out? Now, this, this does not include Paul at this point, so don't worry about the, the Paul question. But just on, on the basis of the, the common list of 12 apostles, could you, could you, would you get 100% here? Could you get 90%? Could you get 80%? There's 17 names, so you'd need to cross five out. getting more than five names to cross out now, so <laughs> there's your answers. And there, okay, so that's, that's the same slide. The, the names are at the same places. It's arranged the same way, but there are the five that get crossed out. And on this one, I have Paul added in at the end because that's something I'd like to touch on. Were you mostly right? I don't know that that's a big deal, but if we're talking about apostles, we may as well know who we're talking about. There was two different Judases. Yeah, good question. So Judas Iscariot that hung himself would have been here. Uh, here. And the, even with that, it kind of depends somewhat on which translation you read because in the Jewish culture, they were called you know, kind of similar names sometimes. And so I, I don't think that every translation necessarily lists two Judases, but I believe the King James does. Okay, the, the question of Paul, I'd like to touch on that just a little bit. Um, I, I don't know if this makes a heated argument or not, but there, there, there is a, some, some thinking uh, that Paul was supposed to be the 12th apostle. And I, I'm assuming that most of you have at least heard of that um, the, the thinking is that Peter jumped the gun in Acts chapter 1 uh, when, when he stood up and said, hey, people, the scripture needs to be fulfilled, and Judas is no longer with us. There's only 11 of us. There's supposed to be 12. Everybody knew that. Um, and, and that's my personal opinion. Uh, I don't mind at all if you disagree with me, but I, I'm, when I read that passage, I see a lot of haste. There's no mention of the Holy Spirit. There's no mention of God speaking to anybody. There's no mention of a vision. There's no mention of a, of a spiritual prompting whatsoever, except for the fact of Peter standing up and saying, hey, there's prophecies here, and they must be fulfilled. And I, I, again, this is my personal opinion, but I kind of ask the question, well, why did he take it upon himself to fulfill those prophecies? Who was he? So we know that Peter was kind of brash, you know, his personality back in the Gospels, and, and my personal opinion is that he jumped the gun. And they should not have done that. The other thing, the other reason I think that is when you look just two or three verses prior to that, and if you're at Acts chapter 1, you can see that. They had specifically been commanded by Christ to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. And I don't see any waiting in what Peter did. So if that's true, then Matthias would not have been an apostle and Paul would have been there instead. And it would have totally eliminated this thing of, is Paul an apostle? Is he the 13th apostle? What's going on with that? 
I welcome feedback. Any comments on that? Uh, if, if you disagree, it's, it's fine. That's Yeah, if that's true, it didn't stand in the way of God bringing in Paul and, and doing marvelous things. And, you know, that's true all through Scripture. I mean, you could look at people like Rahab, you know, all the sin and mistake that, that was there, and yet he used Rahab to bring about Christ. So God has done that kind of thing, uh, not let uh, uh, <clears throat> a mess up on the part of people stop him from accomplishing his plan. Anybody else? I figured there'd be five or six or ten or twenty of you firing comments back on that one. <laughs> okay, we'll keep going. Day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. This is a fun thing to talk about. Uh, if I understand correctly, there were three annual festivals in the Jewish calendar uh, of the type, you all come. And when we say you all come, it meant you all come. Uh, we're talking Jerusalem, Judea, um, the, the northern part, Israel, um, the countries all around them. It was a huge immigration, temporary immigration thing. The capital, Jerusalem, the population absolutely kaboomed, swelled. Uh, I work in emergency services, and I can only imagine the chaos trying to keep up with all that. Um, so Pentecost was one of those annual festivals where you all come, and every Jew, every self-respecting Jew that followed the law in, in Jerusalem, Judea, and all the countries around them um, converged on Jerusalem. I don't know whether to think of it as a mess or a wonderful party, but maybe somewhere in between. So that was Pentecost, and, and that was the background of, of what, you, what we read in chapter 2, where Peter gave his sermon. Can you imagine how big the crowd must have been? I mean, doesn't it say that a couple thousand people were converted right after that? I mean, put yourself in Lancaster City. Where are you going to put a couple thousand people in those street corners? I mean, maybe you can pack them in, I don't know. But some of those details, to, to me, it's just a, it's a fascinating picture of fiery Peter just being up there. And I think probably this time he was on the right track, regardless of the argument about, the, about jumping the gun in chapter 1. But boy, he was filled with the Spirit, and, and, and he let the people know. But anyway, so the, the day of Pentecost, it, uh, sometimes it's called the Feast of First Fruits, and there's literally six or eight different names for this feast. So there's some other names as well that perhaps some of you are thinking of. But Feast of First Fruits, that's one that I picked out in particular because, uh, to me, it's a, it seems like an obvious picture of, uh, of a, um, oh, what's the word, a comparison that God was giving, where it's the Feast of First Fruits. And this is the day in which he chose to start his church and start the spiritual first fruits, the spiritual harvest. So the day of Pentecost was, was during the harvest. It was at the beginning of harvest. That's why they called it first fruits. They were supposed to bring the first harvest of the land along with them. And so to me, it's tremendously fitting that God would choose that because that's when he started his New Testament spiritual harvest. Or at least that's the picture. I don't know if maybe assigning the, the spiritual harvest just to that day is, is appropriate or not. But I see a lot of parallelism, a lot of neat comparison there between the actual physical uh, feast, festival, celebration, and the spiritual harvest that began that day as well. And then there was two outward signs, the little flame and the sound of wind. So if you think about that with, with senses, that's hearing and sight. Aren't those the two you're using right now? So if you're sitting in a room full of people 
Doesn't it say they were all together praying? And I forget the exact verbiage there in chapter 2, but they were together in this room. Uh, you're not really using touch, are you, right now? It's not really a practical sense too much when you're sitting, listening, observing. You're not really using smell, but vision and hearing. Those are the two in which you're most engaged right now. I do find it fascinating that the Bible talks doesn't say that there was a mighty wind. Uh, it's not like the house about blew over. It was the sound of a rushing mighty wind. And, and that, whoa, what's going on here? So just imagine right now, suddenly there's a sound of a tornado outside with sunlight and nothing to see it. Wouldn't you freak out? Now, I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into the text. Maybe there really was a, a, a rushing mighty wind there in the house and they felt it. I, I don't know, but it says it was the sound of it. So that was the hearing, and then the little flames, little pieces of fire, that was the visual. And it was pretty clear, I think, to them what was going on, because hadn't they just been told to wait for the promise of the Father? Now, there's another fascinating thing here. That's the bottom bullet point, rushing mighty zephyr. And you, you have to go to certain translations, at least from what I've found, to see that word. I don't think the King James mentions it. I'm not, I didn't check the NIV, so I'm not sure about that. The, uh, the concept here is it's kind of interesting about the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, we're, we're dealing with translations here. So I don't know how far to take this, but I, I did find the concept fascinating. A zephyr is a tiny puff of air. And supposedly it's too light to even make a leaf wave, but you can feel it on your cheek. Just a puff of air that you can only feel on your cheek. And so if I understand the text correctly here, it says the sound of a rushing mighty zephyr. And that is a complete contrast. It, it, it does not compute. You can't have a rushing mighty zephyr. If a zephyr is a light puff of air that you can only feel in your cheek, there's nothing rushing and mighty about it. It does not compute. And I think it's intentional. I think it's a picture of the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit is God, and He has complete power. And yet, He moves softly to woo men's hearts, and He pushes gently. Um, kind of like a, what's the word, gentle giant. Something like that. And so I, I think that contrast there is, is written on purpose as a picture of the nature of the Holy Spirit. Moving on then, still on the day of Pentecost, uh, Peter gave his sermon. And, and in, in our week here, that's one thing that I'm not really touching on. I, I don't know if that disappoints people. I mean, you know, look what time it is already, and we've got a whole bunch of the book of Acts to go through. So I just... I hope that's not a big deal. Uh, but I did pick out the speaking in tongues, which happened directly after his sermon. If I counted correctly, there are 15 nationalities there where the people were saying, whoa, whoa, what's going on? These people are speaking and we hear them in our, in our tongues. And if I counted right, there's 15 nationalities, which seems to me is a picture of whosoever will may come. I mean, isn't that what it sounds like? It wasn't just Jews, and it wasn't just one neighboring country. It wasn't just two or three neighboring countries. There's 15. Now, this next part is purely Lonnie Coffin thinking this through. But uh, that's a picture of what was then basically the known world, more or less. 
Rome in the top left, Persian Gulf in the bottom right, up to the Black Sea, top part of Africa, more or less the known world. And this next slide is the same map, the same zoom level. That's the same geographical area. That's the, the same zoom level. I just picked screenshots from different places. So the known world there, and I, and I did this just to give us here tonight a little bit of a visual about how much area these people were familiar with and where these 15 nationalities. So we're getting out to Idaho there. So for a culture that uh, didn't have cars and didn't have airplanes and didn't have trains and any kind of high-speed transportation, that's a pretty big area. I mean, even for us to drive out to Idaho takes, makes us grumble. They had so many meals. They had time. They had time, okay. <laughs> All right, I hear you. But I just found that fascinating that the 15 nationalities were from this area, and, but it, it doesn't make sense to me that, I didn't even look up all those 15 nationalities exactly where they were, but it doesn't make sense to me that those 15 would only be in a little circle here. Right? So I can't prove that. I, I guess I should have looked them up. I didn't even think about that until now. But I, I guess, so in these couple points, I just see this day of Pentecost and the 15 nationalities as, as a really good picture of, of God actually himself applying his own word, whosoever will may come, which certainly is a lesson for us today. So I want to ask you a question. This is an application thing, and my goodness, the, the time is moving. But what do you think about immigration today? I mean, there you've got an application question. So how do you look at immigration? Are, are, are we, uh, you know, what, what, how do you, is, is, is um, other nationalities coming into the United States? Is that a good thing, a bad thing? What, how should God, God's people look at that? I just, I, I, I've actually, I've heard uh, Mennonite people talking about immigration in ways that made me uncomfortable. So I, I think it's probably an issue. Maybe my uncomfort was because I'm wrong. I don't know. Well, which is more important? We're supposed to be Christ-like, aren't we? Yeah. Okay, moving on. I'm going to move, just zip through a couple slides here. I, I spent way too much time on the day of Pentecost. Peter and John preach and heal. A picture of an ambassador here. So this is the account where they were going up to the temple and they saw, I believe it was a lame man, and he asked for money, and they said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee, and, and went on from there. Definitely a picture of being an ambassador. Ambassadors display the flag of their native country, and they deliver a message from their government to the native country. And people, there you have a Christian. He displays his country's flag. Well, I know we don't have a flag, but maybe we can consider the Bible as kind of a comparison to that. But we deliver a message from our government, which is God, to the people around us. I was going to have people read these three verses. They talk about being an ambassador. Maybe you can just take a note of them and look them up because I'm going to keep moving. Uh, so, okay, so here we are at application. Uh, remember that we are nothing without Christ. That's something that I thought about when I looked at these couple passages in Acts that, um, you know, the, the, we are nothing without Christ. Um, so the apostles in the room when the Holy Spirit came, uh, we, we dare not try to live life thinking that, we, that it's all about us, and it's not. 
in the book of Acts, we clearly see that, that it wasn't about them. It was about being an ambassador. The other thing I noticed was, do we align with God when he shows us the direction, or do we think we should tell God what to do? And that's kind of referring back to my theory about Peter jumping the gun with the apostle part. A question you can consider, I'm not even going to talk about it, but after the people heard Peter's sermon, what did they do? I think we can take a lesson from that. Maybe you want to um, look at that yourself. Now, there was supposed to be two individual reports tonight. I kind of forget who it was. Is that you? You want to, Can you do it in 30 seconds? Group, group prayers. Yeah. And, and yeah, the, the Old Testament did a lot of it, and, and that part was passed on to the uh, New Testament. Um, it's very, very important. You look at the book of Acts, you just want to find time, time to get in. Some leader in our Western world have given up on it, um, and it's, I think, a powerful tool that we should take seriously and look at. Kind of speaks against individualism, doesn't it? Thank you. That was, that was well done. Uh, I did just a tad of research on the other thing, which was about prophecies, prophecies that were referred to. Um, I, I picked out two concerning Jesus' nature of being a prophet. It clearly, if, if you look at Acts 3, 18 and 19 and 20 right there in that area, it's almost word for word from Deuteronomy 18. And concerning Christ being a light to the Gentiles, if you look at Acts 13, Verse 46 and, and that area, it's almost, again, word for word from Isaiah 49. So I found that kind of interesting. So th those were the two little mini reports for tonight. Um, are there any volunteers to help us out for tomorrow night? Um, where am I here? The mindset change, I think, is already taken. Would anyone like to look at a specific individual and just take your pick of an individual and bring a short report of that individual's lesson for us today? And this would be for tomorrow night. Is there any volunteer for that? Yeah, Jethro at the bottom one. Dad, you'll take the individual thing? Okay, good, thanks. All right, um, what else? Okay. For tomorrow night, think about religious liberty. And with that, is there any other question you'd like to ask or any other specific question that you would like to have talked about tomorrow night? Okay. Yes. Is there a response to that? I don't know offhand. I'd have to look more closely at the text to even make an opinion on that. And right now, just thinking about it, I can't remember exactly how it says it. Okay, maybe we can touch on that tomorrow evening again. All right, thank you.